0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the show. If you're new here, this is the Cut It Out podcast, and I am your host, The Red Wizard. This is a collage and paper craft chat show, and I get to talk to my favorite artists from all around the globe. Today's guest is Mary McCleary. Mary is a mixed media artist based in Nagadoches, Texas. I hope I said that right. And she taught um, fine art at the university level for over, over 30 years. She makes these super awesome, intricate collages composed of hundreds of small, tiny bits. I'm so excited to speak with her, and we're gonna be taking a look at a few of those today. Now, for the shameless plug if you like the show, please like and subscribe. If you already make collages, please visit my affiliate store on my website. Um, you can get scissors, glue, all that kind of stuff, and I get a little kickback from Amazon. Um, I also have free collage kits. If you've never made a collage before, you could download those for free on my website. Also, if you need any gifts for the holidays or you need to buy your dog, whose name is Tuna, a really cool psychedelic poster, you could also go to my website and buy prints and other merchandise. Um, The website is redwizardcollage.com, and I will put a link in the show notes. All right, let's talk to Mary. Mary. Hi, Mary, how are you?
1: Hey, David, hello from Texas.
0: <laughs> you know, I've, I've never been to Texas and I know that I'm really, really missing out. So um, I can't are. wait to hear a little bit more about um, the town you're from. Uh, not, well, you're not from, you're born in Houston, right?
1: Correct. Yes, I came to Nacogdoches in 1975. It was my first job out of graduate school. Thought I'd be here a couple of years, get it on my resume and move to New York or at least Dallas or someplace and ended up meeting my husband here. And uh, he's an architect. I always kind of thought I'd marry an architect. Didn't think I'd find that architect here in Nacogdoches. But anyway, I've been here now since 1975, which is kind of amazing to think about.
0: So you both both must pay l- a lot of attention to detail. I, I got my training in architecture and I know that... Uh, the tedious, it's a tedious bunch we are. We
1: do. It's so, kind of a da- dangerous combination.
0: <laughs> now, you, um, forgive me for saying, but I, I'm just going to go right ahead and say it. You, you, you occupy a, a special uh, tier of collage artists or mixed media artists because uh, Lance Letcher recommended I speak to you um, when I spoke with him a month ago. Uh, You're both collage artists, um, and we are, you and I are educators, so I think that's why he wanted us to chat. And um, now, weren't you recently considered, or didn't the state legislature say that you were like the best two-dimensional artist in the entire state of Texas? Is that a real thing?
1: That's a real thing. That was a wonderful honor that happened a couple of years ago. Uh, The state legislature names a uh, Texas Artist of the Year, a 2D artist and a 3D artist uh, each year, and it's at, it's at the same time they name their poet laureate. So apparently, from what I understand, the state named poet laureates for years, and then decided to add musicians and and 3D artists, 2D artists, and so it it just enlarged the the, the honor, and it was wonderful. It was so much fun to go to the legislature and watch them in action. And uh, that was a great experience and a wonderful honor.
0: So do they give you like a, not a key to the city, but a key to all the art galleries or what what are some of the, what are some of the perks?
1: (laughs) Uh, There's stuff in an envelope and I don't think I ever got around to opening it. I think that it's just uh, you know, a, a certificate or something you could frame if you had that kind of an office. But it's a it's the legislature actually uh, has the Texas State uh, Commission of the Arts in charge of it. And so they accept nominations from various people and then they have a secret group of arts professionals that choose the, those that will be honored. So I'm not exactly sure of the process, but I've been told that that they're well-known people in the arts that do that. So the legislature, uh, they just sort of, okay, what the, uh, art experts have to say.
0: So speaking of art experts, you, you taught at the university level in Negadocious and, uh, one or two other places for over 30 years. What did you, what did you teach? I was head of the design department
1: and taught 2D design for for the, the entire time. I taught painting. I taught collage class occasionally. Uh, I taught drawing sometimes. And I very often did the graduate seminar classes, which I loved a lot, because you can deal with content in more depth when you're dealing with grad students. So that was fun. I always enjoyed that. And I miss, in some ways, teaching, and yet... In some ways, I'm still teaching because I do it on Facebook.
0: Oh, awesome. What do you, uh, what do, you do on Facebook?
1: Yep, I share I, with my students. I was always sharing imagery and trying to expose them to all different kinds of art and all kinds of visual expression and trying to also expose them to areas in the liberal arts that they might not have been exposed to in school. And I'm, I'm still doing that on Facebook. I can't help myself. I guess I'm I'm just a natural teacher.
0: One thing I think is always a little shocking to uh, freshman art students is just how uh, rigorous some of those uh, 2D art classes can be. We think of being an artist as being, you know, uh, kind of loosey-goosey and getting to do what we want and, you know, uh, living like, you know, Jack Kerouac on the road or something. But when you, get to, when you get to the university level and you take 2D class and you take some drawing classes, you find out that you might have four to eight hours of homework every week just for that one class on on top of studio time, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. And I always gave a lot. I was a very demanding teacher, but I thought that that was my students deserved that. I also, uh, in my design class, taught them how to do formal analysis of paintings and had them write long essays on that sort of thing. They Mm -hmm. were just horrible to grade. They took so much time, but I wanted them to learn to write at the same time that they were trying to do art and design. Uh, that's a probably an old-fashioned thing. Uh, I don't think people know how to even write at all anymore. Or So many of the students I see don't know much, but I always expected that of them.
0: Right. Needless to say, I think writing is huge. And one thing I'm trying to do for myself is uh, read more of the writings of artists, not writing about artists, but the actual writings of the artists. And one yeah. that I'm a kind of tome I'm in the middle of right now is uh, Mind's eye by uh, Bridget Riley. Um, uh, the wow artist. and she's brilliant we could tell just from looking at her work but one crazy connection I, I did not know and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher another name today is she was heavily influenced by uh very deliberately studying and mimicking um Surat, the pointillist, the pointillist artist. Yeah. And I, I, didn't. I couldn't make the connection. And as I'm looking at it, it's probably, I probably read two essays about her studying um, Seurat. Am I saying that right? Seurat? Yeah, I think so. Um, and it all started yep. to click because if you zoom in real close on that pointillism, that Seurat picture, he has lots of dots of color on top of other dots of color and they interact. They make the eye move. They kind of create illusion or other colors. And Bridget Riley's work, that op art, is a very similar thing. It just does not look like it at all. But so, the, this is what I'm trying to get at is there's a ton of value of really forcing yourself to go down really deep and just absolutely take another artist's work apart and learn everything you can from it. So I'm sure your students are all the better for those essays that you made them. Absolutely.
1: Yep. I'm in
0: total agreement. Um, so now you mentioned that you got a letter or an envelope for the, um, from the state legislature, legislature declaring you the 2d artist of the year. Now, I'm picturing this found object in your house, this, this envelope, and it's got me thinking about, well, uh, maybe you didn't read it, but is there a chance that it wound up cut up in one of your mixed media pieces? I want to show the, <laughs> I want to show the crowd. This one, this is um, I'm sorry. Can you tell me the name of this one again? It's called Fiat Lux F
1: F I A T and then L U X which is Latin for let there be light.
0: Interesting. And
1: uh, do you want to hear a little bit about it? I would. I
0: what would do you want? To.
1: Tell me what what you want.
0: Sure. So, well, for people who are just listening, well, we're looking at a, um, I'll ex- you want to just explain what it looks like first, and then we could get into, I'd love to hear about your methodology because you're the first um, artist I've ever had in here that really kind of makes figurative work using tons and tons of tiny bits of, of uh collage material. So crop correct.
1: Correct. Um so I really we were broken up and I didn't hear you that well. So you want me to talk about the technique or the content or which area?
0: Um why don't we talk about your 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 technique because there's a lot going on here. Okay. Beautiful.
1: There's a lot, there's a lot going on. So this collage is about, oh, 30 something tall by about 45 inches wide. Uh, and it is made up of lots and lots of bits and pieces of various materials. Uh, A lot of the flowers are seed beads. There's rolled up paper, that's rag paper that's been uh, painted on both sides and then rolled up. There's a there's a matchbox in the lower uh, left hand corner that says Fiat Lux. That's where I got the title. Um, But it's not a real matchbox. I made it to look like a a real matchbox is not going to be archival. So mm-hmm. it's a. I made I made a ma- my own matchbox, but I bought that label. It's an old matchbox label to put on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just all kinds of materials. A lot of painted string, painted cording, uh, painted uh, sticks, painted uh, cardboard, or really ragboard of various kinds. I think the clock is probably a real clock face, probably from a watch someone gave me. I get things in the mail from strangers, by the way. And uh, all kind. you may get things like that too from strangers. Uh, I never know what's going to be in the mailbox. Wow. The pearls around her neck are, are fake pearls. The um, I'm, As I'm looking at, it, I'm reminded myself of what these things are. I made the candles and the flames out of paper, I believe. The... Um, Uh, the dress is made out of uh, cotton that's, I've sort of felted the cotton and then stained it. It takes the paint in a really beautiful way and then cut out the various components for the different colors. So that gives you a little bit of an idea the face, the skin, all of that are made of tiny, tiny little bits of sticks and, 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 um, uh, painted painted sticks that are combined in a mosaic sort of fashion.
0: Do you, um, Do you draw these out in pencil before you create them?
1: Yes. Yes. And this is every piece you see that has a human figure in it is, in fact, a portrait of the person. This was someone I knew who actually uh, inspired this work when she sent or posted on Facebook, I think, the picture of her at a birthday party with holding a cake. And there was something evocative about it that I thought I could use. And so I had her come and pose doing this in a different outfit and with a different hat on and all of that, I ended up then putting, making up this interior for her. Um, but it was inspired originally by just a casual picture that she had put on Facebook that I found sort of interesting and then worked from there.
0: I'd like to talk more about painted paper. It's something I don't know much about, but I see very often in descriptions of uh, mixed media art. Um, so painted paper sounds like what it is, right? You take paper cardstock and you paint it with a color acrylic and
1: it's well the it's all you know it's acrylic on various kinds of rag paper and uh originally these things were very very simple they were abstract and it was just a way to try to make something visually interesting i was rebelling against the minimalism that was uh so popular when i was in school and um uh I can kind of talk a little bit more about how the pro- how how these collages evolved. Do you want to hear a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, I would love to, especially if we we're going to bash I didn't just, I,
1: Yeah, I didn't just start doing uh, complex figurative images. Uh, I was a printmaker all through school and uh, doing everything from elaborate etchings to silk screens, many many color silk screens, lithographs. Didn't do uh, relief printing that much. And uh, when, I, when I left school to start teaching, I was, uh, a friend of mine said, well, just start drawing and painting mixed media things and don't worry if they're good or bad. And that was a refreshing thing for me because I was always trying to do good work. And uh, I worked on these things and over time started cutting into the paper and flipping up areas of the paper, almost like an advent calendar and then running string through them. And they were just abstract. They were inspired by folk art and decorative arts. I grew up looking at a lot of decorative arts, primarily American decorative arts, American antiques. I still look at these things a lot. That inspires my work. And um, uh, over time, they got much more complex. And about oh, three to 5, the work started taking on a little bit more of a figurative element And they became truly figurative, uh, actually inspired by when I became a Christian and started reading the Bible as an adult for the first time in my life. And and got very, very deep into translations and word meanings and all the commentaries and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. What an artist reads always affects their work. And so my work started becoming... Uh, figurative dealing with some of these biblical subjects that I had become so enamored of. And they were very simple at first, probably related more to medieval manuscripts, how flat those things are. And then gradually the work became more three dimensional. So that's, that's, you probably maybe know more than now than you wanted to know, but that's the story. So they, wow. it just became much more complex.
0: So, and this all this increasing complexity and influence by reading scripture. Did this happen while you were in school? While you were no, I was teaching. I was teaching. No, I was very
1: much an agnostic for a good bit of my life, and uh, uh, decided to once and for all explore evidence for various. uh, world views and was drag kicking and screaming into the faith because I found the evidence uh, something very compelling. And so that was not what I intended. That's not what you do if you're trying to be a success in the art world, right? That's, yeah. you know, that's not the stance most people take.
0: That's why I asked about, well, while you were training or in school, because, you know, uh, minimalism was, it was like, you know, the, the inquisition, you know, the right, like everything, whether it was architecture, art, everything had to be a block or a cube and that, that was it. And um, I would imagine, you know, some, now I'm starting to see a connection and tell me if I'm wrong, this kind of, um, I don't know, lack of a better term, like the mosaic effect that you have in your artwork does remind me of some old, uh, religious um f- figurative work is that is there a connection there or sure awesome
1: sure well you can't help but associate this them with the mosaics say in Ravenna and various roman mosaics or even earlier ones uh and and there're just so many references uh sure. When I was doing, the, I started collage though about 1978, and it was all very abstract and more influenced by architecture and the decorative arts. Things like Oriental rugs, um, uh, gosh, uh, Persian miniatures, Indian miniature paintings, um, uh, quilts, uh, hooked rugs. Uh, oriental rugs, porcelains, of you know, Chinese porcelains, all kinds of pattern oriented things. What I found and how that work came about was that I, I discovered that if I had a choice at that time between going to an art museum and looking at say a minimalist show or m- many other kinds of shows or going to a really good antique show and looking at really, really fine uh, American or English or French or Italian or whatever, Uh, decorative arts, I was choosing decorative arts because it gave me more to look at. And so I started thinking I need to get the visual stimulation into my work so that people, when they come to it, won't just be there for two seconds and then move on to the next thing, but maybe will give me five seconds of their time. What I also want, though, is that it's not just visually compelling, but I want meaning to be built into the work. And that meaning uh becomes more apparent the longer they look. Uh there's all kinds of symbolism. There's references of all kinds in there. Um uh I I try to offer my viewer a feast and they can take it or leave it, but that's what I think my job is, is to offer them something. I offer them my best, basically.
0: I really like that quote. Offer my viewer a feast. That's something that you have yep. in common with you
1: obviously do with all the visual stuff with your work. I mean you you offer the viewer a bunch.
0: I do, but I have I haven't walked the plank yet when it comes to spending, you know, uh, months or weeks just cutting materials like it seems that or collecting like it seems that you and Lance do and I I wanted to share a Lance quote because hmm. um Lance said I can't remember how long he timed each visitor but he said like the each of his visitors who look at his work like stops and looks at his his work for, you know, an average of like thirty-eight seconds or something like that. It, it might be longer, shorter. I can't remember what he's had. And yeah. the way he put it was, I have that person's eyes for that time. So hmm. to, yeah. to put it maybe in your terms, like. Well,
1: Lance is one of my favorite artists. I love his work. I'm such a fan. I'm a longtime fan of his work and uh, I put him in shows I've curated and I've participated in, sh- we participated in shows together. So uh, it's fun that he introduced us.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to chat with you. And I guess like the, the common thing I'm seeing as I'm talking, as I'm um, getting to talk to, um, very talented collage artists such as yourself is there's a ton of time spent in the minutia and the detail and people can't not pick up on that. That's the common thread that I'm starting to see. The viewer, the buyers, they're picking up on it. And often in modern art, it gets like symbology and stuff like that. Gets overlooked, so I'm very happy to know that you survived um, a life in academia and and going to college in fine art and not just making, um, you know, abstract uh, blocky artworks. So I'm, I'm sure it was uh, it was a hard fight uh, for that long. Well, I
1: did. I did my share of bad Helen Frankenthaler's as an undergraduate, but I also went to school at a time when we weren't taught basic skills. I am a self-taught artist. I, when I was an undergraduate, I had drawing figure drawing with the head of my department who had been uh, an apprentice or something with Jack Torkoff. If, I don't know if you know that work, he was sort of a second tier abstract expressionist and my, the head of my department told me in a life drawing class, and I will never forget his words, that I would never need to know how to draw the figure, that art had evolved to such an extent that no one would draw the figure again. Mm -hmm. Now, isn't that interesting that that was the the stance? So as an undergraduate, I learned about some printmaking techniques, but I was not introduced to many things except in art history class. Art history class was wonderful because we were really given content and and rigorous uh, analysis and study, and I'm grateful for those art history classes. The studio classes were very, I, I always have tried to give my students more than I was given as an undergraduate or as a graduate student. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it was definitely, my training, I studied fine art photography, and I feel like half of the work that we were introduced to, other, like the contemporary stuff, modern stuff, was like, it could only exist in a gallery. You know, like I love Robert Smithson work. I'm not sure if he's from uh no, he's not from Texas, but his land art work. But how is a twenty-one year old kid leaving art school gonna, you know, get a project like going like that? I don't know. It's I, I sometimes I feel bitter about studio my uh my studio experience for that very reason, not getting some of that more classical uh training. Now mm. um, speaking of like figurative stuff, um I wanted to show your work called departures okay which tell me if i'm wrong it looks like i'm looking through a rainy airplane window that's at it airplanes. this is a fantastic You're right.
1: yeah this one's about 22 by 30 it's not as thick as some of the other work uh, it's probably about a half an inch deep. By the way, I use Arches 400-pound watercolor paper as my base uh, for my work. This is composed, it's too bad we don't have a a way to blow it up. If someone wants to go to my website, they they can enlarge the work and kind of see it. It's made up of just hundreds of little seed beads, pieces of broken glass, uh, painted, painted sticks, painted, uh, probably some painted string in there, little bits of painted paper that are all put together. And, uh, it, uh, it came about 19, I mean, I'm sorry, 2018. And, um, I had been losing a lot of people in my life, family members and friends. And I I got the idea for this at the end of that year because I was wondering who will be next? Who will I lose next? And so ended up finding, sort of making this as a, the plane's about to depart as a metaphor for that personal experience. Um, The rain on the windows obviously connects with the idea of tears. And uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a different kind of a piece. It's, I, I find my works going in really two different directions here simultaneously. And I like to kind of switch off from piece to piece to piece to, piece to uh, as to mm-hmm. which, which method I use. I have the piece where figurative works, like you, like you saw just then with Beat Lux, with the girl with the cake. But then this piece is a little more Gosh, I hate to use the word impressionistic, but I think it's a good word for that. Sort of more photo based, more obviously photo based. um, And just playing with really how far I can take the collage um, uh, imagery uh, and do something a little more
0: atmospheric with it. This reminds me of like uh, Chuck Close's um, process where you have a photorealistic work from very far away, this would look like a photograph. And as you get closer, you realize it's made up of small, like geometric uh, bits. Yes,
1: but they're just random pieces of things. And uh, like for the sky, a lot of that are little triangles. They, the triangle shapes, the random triangles seem to work uh, better in sometimes, sometimes rectangles work, it just depends, but the triangles somehow go back, go back and become the object a little better than a, a rect- rectilinear piece does, if that makes any sense. But so all of how does the arches paper I,
0: hold on to all this stuff?
1: Well, it does. It does, and I use uh, uh, you know jade or some uh, uh, different kind of archival glues. You know, they come with different uh, brands, brand names, and um, uh, I hope th- I hope that I hope the glues last. You know, you're told they do. You have to trust the scientists that 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 create them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I keep, I I live in fear that, you know, 20 years from now that all these little bits and pieces will be at the bottom of a frame that the glue didn't hold, but I, I've just got to trust, trust to trust the manufacturers and hope they know what they're doing.
0: Well, and by then they will be interns at the gallery or something like that. And they'll, they'll, uh, they'll glue it back together for you. (laughs) It's beautiful work. And one thing I wanted to, you know, share you know, with our listeners is to me, most collage artists are beholden to the source materials that they find and they use. But because you use very small things, you're kind of opened up um, things for yourself and you can make art about whatever you want. Um, it's really quite extraordinary that you're able to make your artwork out of all these things, but you're able to completely make your your own image, your your own story, all from these tiny things. I don't know. It's just it's something that I've never considered doing, or even 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 thought was possible. Um, and some of your materials kind of tell their own stories, in my opinion. For example, mm-hmm. this piece called um, "Telling the Bees." Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, is this made out of like fabric and yarn and stuff like that? Well, there's no
1: yarn, but I do collect different kinds of, as I said, cording that's used for upholstery, different sizes of cording, cording. string, cotton string. I, I don't normally use, uh, wool like yarn. I don't, I, I use cotton very often. Uh, that's actual basket that it's painted, a part of a basket I took apart that holds the flowers. Oh, wow. There is an actual paperback book there that I've sort of tried to make as archival as possible. The book, uh, gosh, the title is uh, Through a Glass Darkly, which is quoting from Corinthians, one of Paul's letters. Uh, the fabric is made up of bits and pieces of painted paper, but also uh, acrylic that I push through little tiny tubes and can kind of draw almost with the line of acrylic coming out of the paint tube and build. I build that up Um, the flowers are a mix. Some things I made, but also some things I buy. Um, I'm always on the lookout at, at, flea markets and, uh, antique malls for beaded flowers. And I've collected quite a number of them and it's fun to use these. Um, oh, there's probably some even, uh, 1960s enamel flower pins on there. There's just a whole array of various flower sorts of things. How, so there's so they're fun things for the viewer to find and display. yeah
0: that's hmm? um, that's um no, sorry, I interrupted you the the ability for the viewer to find um tiny items um some things that are totally unique, some things that are mass produced there's something very special to me where you could look and say oh man, my my grandmother had that pin or uh I remember that book of matches at my dad's house. there's um that's a very unique effect that you don't often see in artwork where it's almost like you have someone else's keepsake adorning your work. It's really neat. Thank you. Thank you. I
1: love Dutch flower painting. And uh, even as a child, I, if I saw something I liked in a museum, I would try to make my own version of it. So in a way, since I can't afford any of the great Dutch flower painters, I, I do my own. So, (laughs) Not as good as theirs, but it's a, it's a, it's a gesture toward that. It may, it just, uh, it's a whole other sort of a thing, of course.
0: Yeah, we, I I learned a lot from, from, um, from copying other artists. I feel like you don't really see a work until you draw it. Um, Right now I'm copying my favorite comic book artist because that's the medium I'm working with right now. I'm making um, seven foot tall comic book monsters and, um, I knew in my heart that I needed to learn more and almost mm. take, take a break from my own work. So I've been, um, illus- using, I've been copying 1960s illustrations of like the fantastic four right now. I'm copying works from a 2001 comic book from like 1972. Wow. Like a, That's fun. Just to, just to be able to see it, you know, like this is like. This is just a single ray gun. Like this ray gun was probably only the size of a postage stamp, but I absolutely loved this ray gun. I'm actually getting ready to um, try uh, paper cutting it. I'm going to exacto cut through this. So I don't know. It's just a copying artist I think is a really great tool for anybody. If you love, if you consider someone a master or you really love their work, copying it will really help you see it 10 times better than you have before.
1: Well, artists have been doing that for 100 years, many hundreds of years. I'm sorry, really many hundreds of years. You go through our history, you see this all the time.
0: So could you share some um, advice for us? I know everyone wants to know how they could be a better (laughs) artist. You taught people how to do it uh, for over 30 years. You're clearly an awesome artist. Do you um, have any tidbits of advice um, for us?
1: Yeah. I love getting advice. When you're 70 years old, you give advice, right? <laughs> no, my advice. Here's my advice. Here's my advice. Uh, if someone's if if, a, if if a parent comes to me and says their children, their child likes to draw and, and all. I try I try to encourage them to get to take the children to museums regularly to see real good, real and good art in person. I tell them to buy their children art books of good recognized artists to look at. Um, I tell my students that they need to know about every kind of art that has ever been done in every geographic area in all throughout time. And okay. that's a lifelong process. But that they, everyone needs to be aware of the whole range of art, the whole range of choices we have and not just be limited to what's been done in the last 10 years in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's it's just so much more fun to look at possibilities. And I'm, I, I encourage them not just to look at the visual arts, 2D or 3D art, but to look at architecture, to be very familiar with the history of architecture, the history of film, uh, decorative arts of all kinds and craft areas. I, I think we, your, your world is enlarged the more of these things you know. I also think a really solid liberal arts education is a huge thing for any artist. And I'm thinking in terms of a classical liberal arts education with great books, because I, my, what I find very often is that the young people I know have no idea how to deal with content. It's always about just personal experience or some recent political trend. And I I like art that reaches beyond that and is truly inclusive, that art is bridge building, not just limited, bridge building to all people in some way or form. And I think that the liberal arts open those things up to us and help us think about content. So that all, all of this goes without saying that to try to get as much technical skill as you can. Uh, I don't always see that in universities these days. Theory is is considered much more important than any kind of technical skill with how to use materials. And I, I'm old fashioned. And again, would want a young person to have a better education than I did on all those things.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm 36 years old and only until maybe two years ago did I realize that if you can write and you can draw, you could literally make anything. Your own worlds, your own places, your own stories, your own demons, gods, like heroes, literally whatever. And yeah, oftentimes in art education, it's like not what people are learning how to do. And we've lost a lot. And and
1: I think it's even hard if you're hiring someone to find a teacher that knows these these skills. You have people in various cities, especially up east, who are trying to relearn those those painting skills, but uh and drawing skills, but a lot of times they have a hard time with content. And the content's kind of predictable and not very interesting, frankly. Mm -hmm. So there's you, you it's it's hard. From time I, to time, I've thought, do I start art school? But I don't have time to do that.
0: Yeah. I um, I spent the better part of about three years using collage to explore just a handful of philosophy books I read that I just like to think about. And one of yeah. them was actually, um, have you ever heard of Pierre Tilhard Desjardins?
1: Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. Read him
0: many years ago. Yeah. So he wrote the Phenomenon of Man and the, um, the Omega something. I can't remember, but he was a Jesuit priest, I believe. I think who so. I think so. um, basically thought that we were evolving towards some kind of, I don't know what you want to call it. it his It's like evolution towards some kind of like religious theological um, thing where like, Mankind becomes super beings, or God comes back. One of those things, right? He was he was a priest, and his stuff, and like Ken Wilber, another philosopher. He was a,
1: he was not totally orthodox, let's say, in his views. Exactly.
0: Yes. Yes, and I'm I'm sure that probably got him in trouble with uh, little clergy. little orthodox. Yes. So, um, but my, one of my favorite things to read about and, and still is, was is scripture and um, old, old religious uh, texts. So ah. those are all things that I wanted to explore while I was in, in school. And I was also interested in ex- empirically experiencing um, the divine, you know. Okay. For God, yeah. if you will. So I was always interested in those things, but I remember feeling like it was a difficult subject to bring up in school because everything had to be so personal <laughs> yeah, yeah you know and nihilistic, yeah. quite frankly. but um, I don't wanna I'm sorry, I don't want to get um, so negative I'm sorry I get I get negative about this stuff but um, you mentioned so if you have kids that you know have interest in the arts, regular museum visits, um, um, to see good artists um, and real art, art from everywhere, all over the place, architecture, film, decor, design. Oh, and you also mentioned like liberal arts and and great books. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. so important too, because ultimately as artists, we shouldn't just be talking about ourselves. We should try to be talking about everyone and what the hell is going on. We're kind of the eyes and ears Yep mouths of the world, so to speak. Yep. When I was in RIT, one of my favorite artists, this is guy, Matt Ward. Matt, if you're listening, you're probably not. Hello. Um, he's an odd duck, and he was from D.C. He didn't have a car. And this is the kind of guy who he had to rent a camera from the school every time he wanted to take a picture. And this guy would go out, and he would take a picture on campus that you couldn't even tell... Like he would wait for like the misty rain or the fog or the lighting to be just right. He would perch like a wildlife photographer. I just wait for the right moments. And somebody asked him in my studio class, very patronizingly, what do you think um, an artist is Matt? Hmm. And he responded to be the eyes and the ears of a greater being than I am. Ah. And I tell you what, he just certainly could take fantastic pictures. I thought his stuff was much more interesting than people that use art as their own like personal diaries for their own own neuroses. Yep. You know <laughs> so I agree. I
1: agree. You know, we're all finite. And if I was just going to be expressing myself, I would run out of material in about one and a half minutes. It's much more interesting to look beyond myself at subject matter and ideas. And if you do that, then it's infinite as far as subject matter. I think in some advice ever given to an art student is express yourself because we can't help but express ourselves. It's automatic. We can't help but do it. You know, as in co- in school, in elementary school or something, a teacher may tell everybody to express themselves. If they're expressing themselves, really their personal selves, the work's not all going to look like Jackson Pollock, you know. But when people are taught that, that all looks alike. It's sort of a formula for, quote, expressing yourself. Sure. It's sure. better to look out and look beyond us, look beyond ourselves into something bigger and to things, again, that connect with other people. We're bridge builders. Once again, we're bridge builders.
0: Yeah, I think um, if five of us are in a room and we just take a figure drawing class, we all draw the same person, but the result is going to be a mixture of our own vision and our own Mm -hmm. weird mixture of empathy and observation. So ultimately, we all have our own style. We all have our own expression, but that doesn't need to be your focus your focus is communication to me is communication and connection. Correct. Right.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, I really like your, I'm actually, I wrote down the list of all of uh, your advice bullet points. This is fantastic. I have a uh, two-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter. Um, Ah. They're both both, um, like to draw. And right now, My son David, he draws like five or six kitchen blenders a day. He goes right up to the sketchbook. (laughs) Wow! Blender. He draws blenders. No, that's world right now. So I'm saving these blenders.
1: (laughs) I love it. I suspect you're a good influence at home.
0: Oh, I try to be. I try to be. We uh, we have a scheduled art time now uh, right before dinner. I'm interested to know, what do you think, uh, what what do you consider to be a great book? You mentioned great books.
1: Mm. Well, I'm a poetry fan. I've learned to enjoy poetry and um, I can sort of get a hit really quickly. You know, I'm I'm in the studio a lot, so I, I don't really have, I read a lot of nonfiction. I don't read much fiction. Uh, and, uh, but I love poetry and especially the great English poets pr- predominantly. And I'm thinking in terms of Elliot, yes, Elliot, I'm in love with him. I'm still in love with Alden, uh, and just the whole range. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly discovering new, new, new poets I like, and it is unending. There's so much out there. And that's what I love right now. Uh, but I, you know, I read history. I've always read history, um, uh, Philosophy. I do a lot of theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read the Bible a lot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that's never ending. There's so much there.
0: Do you have, I recommend that for anybody Bible? that do you, have a favorite huh? translation? Do you have a favorite translation of the Bible.
1: Oh gosh. It's, it's, it depends. I really, if I'm teaching a Sunday school class, I will look at various translations and even do word studies. Mm-hmm. I, I just for day to day, I'll do NIV new international version. Yeah. Uh, but it just depends. But, you know, I was challenged a number of years ago by an art historian who ended up going to New York and being a curator at the Hispanic Museum there for years and years and years. And he challenged me to he said, have you ever read the Bible all the way through for the, you know, the entire thing, Genesis to Revelation? And I hadn't. And he said, well, you know, every every well-educated person needs to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I took him up on that challenge and because I had such great respect for this guy and um uh, it, it, I didn't like everything I read, but that doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You don't always like what you read in any area. Sure. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a life changing thing along with looking for evidence of, uh, the reliability of the manuscripts and archeology span and just going through all this whole thing with the evidence. Mm-hmm. I had, I had to be convinced it was reliable.
0: Um, are you, are you familiar with Alan Moore? He's a, graphic novelist he wrote like the uh, the watchman it's a very it's a graphic novel I don't basically, think so. it's basically a big comic he's a he's a british man it's a, basically a really big comic time magazine considered to be one of the most hundred best novels of all time and um alan moore um just oh some words of his very much influenced professional artists of mine uh Their project is called Coral Morphologic. They're based in Miami. They take nano photography of corals that they like go out and harvest. They scuba dive, they get these corals, they bring them into a lab. They take like super high res photographs of them and they like project them on the city walls of Miami. And um, so they got me on this Alan Moore kick. And the reason why I want to bring up Alan Moore and scripture is Alan Moore is a practicing um, ceremonial uh, magician. Or I don't know if the magician is the right word. He he practices magic in like the old, not the theatric magic, but magic, and okay. a very compelling argument for the power of poetry and writing, where he basically, in in his opinion, poetry, and and writing. I'm sorry, writing and drawing is some of the first instances of magic being a very like archaic version of, of religious and magical thought. And he literally believes that the practice of telling stories and like create and creating stories is like the closest thing we have towards magic in that we literally impart ideas into other people's consciousness just from writing things down or hmm. drawing them. And hmm. all of that starts to compress down where, um, into things like, um, whether it's religion, uh, myth of old ages, stuff like that. These are, um, stories, whether real or not, that literally like program us and like are the stories that we all like live on or, or with. Basically, yeah. like, I do think it's important for, for people to read not just the Bible, but scripture from all over the world, because like it's like the DNA of people's perspective. It's the DNA of people's um, viewpoints. It's, hmm. I, I highly recommend. Interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think everybody needs to read all these various uh, sacred writings. I certainly did myself uh but you look at you have to look at where they come from you have to look at there's so many factors to look at they're not all equal
0: yeah yeah it's just slow well, yeah <laughs> um yeah so mary thank you so much for for chatting um i feel like we covered all of our questions and Trying to just I just want to double check because sometimes I really kick myself when I don't ask some questions some questions I really wanted to ask. Let's see. Um yeah, I think we covered almost anything. Um do you have do you have anything else? There's a website. You can mention the website
1: www.marymclary.com if anybody wants to see see more uh, examples of my work. It hasn't been updated in a year. I've been working instead of doing my updates. But well, the website looks get...
0: great. I don't I don't think it needs any work. It looks fantastic. Thank you. Well, there's
1: work. There's newer work that's not on there. Resume uh-huh. needs updating, etc. So and links. And I'll put this link on here when I get on there when I get it. So, so awesome. that will be fun to share. And you're, David, you're just so nice to invite me on your program. Thank you well, so I'm, much. This was fun
0: to get to better. I'm very honored for you to join me in conversation because I've, I learned a lot and your artwork is super inspiring. Um, talking to you and talking to Lance has made me like, realize that I should spend more time, like just getting down into the minutia and like, cut 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 and let i let people get lost in the work you mentioned in the show you said um offer my viewer a feast and that's one yep. of my biggest takeaways and i think a lot of us can learn um from that advice thank you thank so much. You. thank you so
1: much. thank you so much david thank you